This podcast was recorded on September 29th, 2020. The views and opinions expressed herein are as of the date recorded and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities. Such views and opinions may differ from those of DoubleLine Capital or of its affiliates and is subject to change without notice. DoubleLine has no obligation to provide any updates or changes. All right, everybody, uh, here we are at the Sherman Show. I'm here with my co-host, Sam Lau. Hey, hey. And if you're watching us on the YouTube, you see that we are live and we are in video action. So you see us in our COVID-friendly space here on the 17th floor in downtown Los Angeles. Uh, but today we have a very special guest kicking off season nine. Uh, we got Ryan Simonetti. He is the CEO and co-founder of Convene. Uh, he founded Convene back in 2009 very fortuitous timing. Um, they have 32 locations in the U.S. and the, and the United Kingdom, and he, uh, the accolades for him are numerous. Uh, Forbes says, uh, names convene one of America's 100 most promising companies. Fortune has named it one of the best workplaces in America. The Real Estate Forum's 50 under 40 list. Uh, magazine's 30 under 30. Maybe one day you'll get an ESPN 20 for 20. Uh, I guess those are 30 for 30s too, but uh, anyway, I was trying to go with the 50, 40, 30. Um, so, Welcome, Ryan. Thank you. It's uh, it's an honor to be here today. Yeah. So I think it's uh, as I said, I think some of this is fortuitous as well because here we are talking about the the digital workplace. Uh, we're here in our our permanent workplace, and here we are doing a Zoom meeting uh, to have this conversation today. So I think the timing's great. But before we start, can you give people a little bit of background on you, Ryan? Like, wh where'd you go to school? How'd you start off? Was it your dream to always talk about shared workspace alike. So walk us through how you became the CEO and co-founder of Convene. Great. So I'm going to, I'm going to go way back. Uh, you know, I, uh, I grew up in, in, in central New Jersey, uh, uh, was lucky enough to have a, a father that was an entrepreneur, small business, but actually in the hospitality industry, uh, was in the food service business. Uh, so uh, I like to say that entrepreneurship is, is a little bit of nature uh, and nurture. And I think I was lucky enough uh, to have both. So even from a very uh, young age, I always wanted to do something uh, entrepreneurial. I uh, was fortunate enough to, uh, to get into to Villanova University. Uh, you know, great life experience. I really do think that you know, college um, really does shape your future uh, in more ways than you can, can even imagine. And it's actually at Villanova that uh, I became best friends uh, with my co-founder, uh, a guy by the name of, of Chris Kelly. Uh, and you know, we were the two hustlers in college. Uh, if there was a way to, to make a buck uh, and help pay our way through school or uh, a way to, to buy an extra round of drinks at the bar, we were trying to do it. Uh, legally, so, of course, right, oh, Ryan? Oh, legally, legally, legally course, always. Right? Legally, legally always. But, yeah. uh, you know, spring break trips, uh, use textbooks. I mean, this is even kind of pre-Amazon and half.com. Uh, and, you know, it was clear to both of us uh, that at some point uh, we'd love an opportunity uh, to do something together. Uh, you co so fast forward kind of post-college, uh, you know, ended up uh, kind of stumbling my way into the real estate industry, um, you know, growing up or even in college, uh, you know, I was much more focused on, you know, sales and trading or investment banking. Uh, but, you know, at my, during my time at Lehman, uh, I worked in the, the structured products business there, uh, really fell in love with real estate um, as an asset class. 
uh, you know, got to work on some really cool stuff back then. I remember we worked on like the first ever real estate CDO. Uh, I got promoted after my first year, uh, had an opportunity to go into the principal investing business there because I really wanted to, to get closer to the investments themselves. Uh, decided not to do that and was really lucky to get into really like a startup real estate finance. You can almost think about us as um, we ended up almost being like a publicly traded real estate hedge fund, a, a company called Gramercy Capital. Uh, mm -hmm. We used to trade, trade under the ticker GKK. Um, that business is now GIT, uh, Gramercy Investment Trust, which, which ultimately went from uh, our business model, which was really being a capital provider from you know, debt to equity, highly structured to ultimately becoming uh, a net lease business. But you know, life is about timing. Uh, you know, I got in there, um, you know, early 2006, uh, rode the wave. Uh, you, we went from a couple hundred million in assets under management to, to multiple billion, uh, ended up running one of our investment teams. And then when the world blew up, uh, I started our workout and restructuring business, uh, you know, our entire portfolio, like many of our peers became a, a big giant workout, uh, probably not too dissimilar, uh, than the experience of a lot of my friends in the industry are probably going through today. Uh, and it just so happened I spent a lot of time um, uh, working on uh, office investments as well as hotel investments. Uh, and this is at the time where I would say the lifestyle movement in hospitality um, was really starting to bleed into different asset classes. Um, you've got the rise of Equinox. Um, you've got all the amazing stuff that Ian Schrager was doing in, in kind of the lifestyle boutique hotel movement. You've got the rise of W and, and, uh, and the change that that had on, on the hospitality industry. And even your know, residential developers, whether it be condo or multifamily, were really starting to uh, amenitize and service buildings in a really fundamentally different way. Uh, but office landlords hadn't done that yet. So the idea for Convene was really taking the best of hospitality, design, um, technology, uh, service, amenitization, uh, and could you apply that to office and technically run uh, an office or a workspace uh, more like a, a hotel? Uh, and, you know, look, I was lucky enough, um, you know, to be a 27-year-old kid that was able to scrap together some money uh, and convince uh, a big landlord to, uh, you know, let us lease space from them and, and really start the, the convened journey back in 2009. So we hear a lot of this about like a sharing economy, gig economy, and sometimes it's painted with a negative light. How do you think about that? So you're talking about shared workspace, you're talking about, I like the phrase amenitization, I don't know if I've heard that one before, um, but you're, you're talking about providing a service to people. It's not just, you know, here's four walls and, you know, come in, use, use your space, go home for the day. How did you think about um, really planning that out? And, you know, as you talk about this shared economy, what's your vision for it? Look, it's, it's a great question. I'll even go back to um, you know, our time at Gramercy. Uh, you know, our biggest investor at the time was, was SL Green, you know, largest uh, commercial office landlord uh, in New York at that time. We ended up owning a really large office portfolio ourselves. And when the financial crisis happened, um, every single one of our customers called us back and pretty much asked us to give back space. Right. Every company, you know, what I've realized is you either have too much real estate or you have too little real estate. Um, your real estate, especially office, doesn't move like your businesses move. And if you went to any CEO of any company, um, especially given how complex the world that we live in, they would ask for agility. They'd ask for flexibility. 
Uh, and real estate really never was able to offer that um, until companies like us and WeWork and others really came around at scale. Um, so to me, you know, I just really view it as, as an outsourcing opportunity. And if I was a company, um, would I rather design, build, and manage all of my own hospitality space, my own meeting, event, and conferencing facilities that I use you know, a few times a year that's not really my core business? Do I want to lease an extra 50,000 square feet of space that I may or may not need? Or do I want to sign a 10-year lease when I've only got a business model that gives me visibility for the next 18 to 24 months? And I just thought that not only could you reimagine real estate from a design and hospitality perspective, but could you actually fundamentally change the way that customers buy? Um, and yes, it is in a shared consumption model, right? It's outsource over insource. It's shared infrastructure over, uh, over owned infrastructure. Uh, and, you know, I believe um, pre-COVID and then coming out of COVID, you know, access is the new ownership. Um, and I just, I, I don't see that changing. And I see that that mindset and that business model um, isn't just focused on the consumer anymore. It's really moving into B, B2B businesses, uh, including real estate. What do, what do you mean by access versus owner? Define that term. So if you think about like for you guys, I'm sure, you know, you've got, um, I don't know how many square feet you have in LA, but you probably signed a lease for, I don't know, 10, 15 years. You had to invest a lot of capital. And when you designed that space, it was based on a certain headcount projection. Uh, it was around uh, a certain strategy that you guys had as a business, a certain way that your people would interact with your space. And I think the reality is that none of us have that type of visibility into our business. And so as opposed to signing a long-term lease or, owning your own office building uh, and kind of trying to control that experience yourself. You can outsource to a company like Convene and we design it, we build it, we manage it, we take care of the entire experience. And instead of having to take space for 10 years, you can buy a conference room for us for the hour or a meeting for a day or a workspace for 12 months or 24 months. And so we're just creating uh, so much more elasticity um, in the cost structure for, for our companies. So have you guys have you guys built any trading desks for investment firms for a temporary basis yet? Um, we actually uh, designed, built in partnership with Brookfield uh, and managed an entire front of house trading operation for, uh, you know, a Fortune 100 financial institution. It's about 90,000 feet. Um, okay. So, yeah, we are seeing that more and more companies, uh, big and small, are looking to companies like Convene to really be kind of a full service uh, outsource solution. Uh, it's amazing. Uh, I'm gonna have to talk to our CFO about that as we're renegotiating <laughs> our lease these days. So uh, to, that's why that was a, a personal interest there. So you know, so you, you talked about the post-COVID world, and so uh, there's a lot there's a lot of headlines out there that speak of the demise of the of office real estate that work from home is here to stay. It'll never come back. Um, all we need is the Newsweek article to say it's not going to work, right? The contrarian indicator of Newsweek yeah. uh, cover stories. But that, de uh, that death has been really promoted by a lot of people. Uh, we hear it a lot in our industry. Uh, what is your sense? You know, what do you see the future? Is, is it we return back to the pre-COVID world? Is it a permanent work from home solution? Is it some hybrid approach to these things? How, how are you guys thinking about it? And where are you seeing that interest from your clientele? Yeah, look, I think to us, the future is hybrid. Um, you know, when you go through, I think, crises like the one that we're going through, um, you know, it's it's easy to to over-index. I think in either direction, right? The pendulum, uh, you know, tends to swing wildly uh, in in either direction. 
you know, and, and where, where we try and focus as a company is, is less on the, trend, uh, the, the headline and, and focusing a little bit more on the trend line. And when we think about COVID, COVID is really just the great accelerator, right? If there was a trend that was happening pre-COVID or um, a, a customer base that maybe was in like early adopter phase, but now you're quickly seeing stuff become adopted at scale. And, and look, work from home uh, and distributed work is something that's been happening the last 10 plus years, at least, that we've been um, in business. I, it's never been adopted at this scale this quickly. Uh, and I think what's happened is um, every company in the world is going through this giant work from home experiment together. Big, small, high growth, not high growth, family owned versus Fortune 100. And What's interesting is if you look at the, the surveys and the data and, and not just the stuff that we're doing, but like even McKinsey, uh, you published research on this recently. Look, the majority of people enjoy working from home, right? It's like 80% of people enjoy working from home. Um, but at the same time, we all know that there's challenges with working from home, right? If you're a parent and have kids that are, you know, are not in school and are home with you, uh, you know, lack of reliability in your, your, your wireless or your network infrastructure. Um, and so working from home is also not perfect. And, you know, what we're hearing and what we're seeing is that, you know, and I think the last research I read had something like 70 to 75% of, of employees surveyed envision a hybrid, a hybrid work week where there's days I choose to work from home. There's days I choose to work from uh, an HQ. And then there's ultimately days I choose to work from a third space like Convene. Uh, and so for us, like Convene's future is hybrid. Um, you know, it's the intersection of, of physical and digital. And it's also creating uh, a network of spaces that can solve for, you know, dedicated on demand and then have a technology platform that can support your know, virtual in a really seamless uh, and magical way. Yeah, I've heard you say before uh, that you're in the face to face business. It's something I heard from you, which I think about our business and what we do. You know, we're fiduciaries that the, the word, the root of it is trust, right? That's really what it is. And there's a lot of this face to face. And we see this um, over the last six months, you know, trying to onboard new clients and that due diligence session um, and how important it is to have that interaction. And so, you know, when you think about your shared workspaces, is that what you're seeing people really try to do uh, with the convened space that they're, that they're leasing out from you or renting for the day or, or whatever that period is? Or is this more that people are just trying to have the sanctity of some privacy to do conference calls, to, to do some thought, uh, some deep thoughts and, and be quiet? Or how, how are you seeing people utilize the space? Because I could see that being something very beneficial. Again, as we went through this due diligence process lately, it's, it's very important to have those face-to-face those -face meetings because that's the lifeblood of our business, right? Yeah, look, and I, I don't know how it's been, um, you know, for, for you, but it's it's been hard for me to build new relationships through uh, through COVID. Um, you know, I think there's something about meeting somebody face to face, you know, breaking bread um, that you know to me is 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 foundational. Not not to not just to us as I think social human beings like innately, but I do think that it's really important part of the trust and relationship um, you know building process, and that's why. Um, you know, convene. I mean, our name, it's, it's about bringing people together and you're really bringing them together around a great experience. And, I, and when I think about convene and you know, our positioning in the market, you know, we are the premium brand. Uh, we are the full service solution and our customers are coming to us. Yes. For flexibility. Um, yes. To save money or save CapEx or 
increase agility, but they're really coming to us for an experience. And, you know, by being in a convened space, whether it's for a day for a meeting or, you know, permanently residing with us and moving your office into our, our workplace product, um, you know, it's really about attracting and retaining talent. Uh, and it's about creating relationships with customers. And, um, you know, that's not for everyone, um, you know, but I think for our companies, which tend to be uh, a bit more progressive, the, the experience piece of this is, is really important. And, you know, honestly, I think coming out of COVID, if I can choose where I work, what's going to bring me back to the office or to a space? And I think that's where Convene is so well positioned um, because you know, we know how to create a great experience. You know, that's the yeah. business well, that we're in. The thing that brought me back to work was this today, you know, conversation. And I had the best surprise I've seen in 2020. And that is Sam Lau's hair, right? If we look <laughs> at his hairdo, he has grown it out. This is the post-COVID Sam. This is it. He's competing with me. If I'd have known, I wouldn't have cut my hair. That way we could have a true Samson yeah. challenge. Yeah. But I um, that, that my, is one. My curly hair is jealous of the flow. I'll tell you that. I'm yeah. jealous of your curly hair. So yeah. I'm going <laughs> to put in the perm like Kenny Powers one of these days and see if I can wrap it. Uh, you know, six months with growth here, but uh, six months into this pandemic, I guess, in terms of your viewpoint and, and what you've seen that convened, you know, what have you learned in these last six months? Does it present more of a challenge or, you know, do you see opportunities in this in terms of growth or for convening going into the next six months, 12 years, uh, if we continue down this path? Yeah, look, I mean, you know, our business, I mean, being in um, the industry that we're in, uh, you know, a large portion of our revenue is, you know, hosting meetings, events, conferences, and, you know, kind of all of the hospitality services that that wrap around that and, and you know, having people in space. Uh, so the last six months for us has been, you know, obviously extremely challenging. Uh, you know, we had to close, uh, you know, uh, our entire portfolio. Uh, in early March, um, we've only chosen at this point to open up a, a portion of that portfolio. And you know, we had to make all the really tough and hard decisions that companies that are, you know, I think kind of at ground zero uh, of this crisis have had to make around cost cutting. And you know, I'm sure you know, for you guys, even as leaders, like the hardest conversations to have are the human ones. And you know, this has been really, really tough uh, on our team uh, and you know, our leadership team. But uh, you know, I'd say the hard part for us is over. Um, you know, we, we had a strategy called survive and thrive when we started. And uh, I'd say the first 90 days was really about survival um, and doing the hard stuff like cutting costs and closing locations, uh, you know, raising capital, restructuring uh, deals that we had with, with landlords. And the last, I'd say 90 days has been uh, this amazing opportunity that I, I think most companies never get, especially at our stage. I mean, we were high flying, about to do a pre-IPO round, growing 60 plus percent a year. When do you ever get to take a giant step back and really question everything you're doing? Um, and you just don't. And so I think what we've done is really taken this uh, as an opportunity to really ask ourselves, you know, in, in a post-COVID world, knowing that there's going to be new challenges and new opportunities, where do we really strategically want to take the business? Um, what are the core competencies and capabilities that we can leverage, um, knowing that although the world is not going to be radically different, it's going to be different enough that we need to think different? Um, and you know, where are the opportunities where we can invest in innovation to really position us well moving forward? And you know, I'm really appreciative of our team and our board for, you know, not letting a good crisis uh, go to waste. 
uh, and I think have really positioned the company uh, to be successful coming out of this. And, uh, you know, I think that there will be winners in our sector and there will be losers. And, you know, I think all the, the tough decisions we've made and all the strategy work we've done the last 90 days is going to really position us to be well, to be well positioned. So I'm very, very uh, optimistic and excited about, you know, you know, what the future holds, knowing that, look, the next 12 plus months until we get a vaccine are going to be tough. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I like how you call it survive and thrive going back to the roots. And I, th I think it is important to step back. We, we just celebrated our 10 year anniversary at the end of last year. And we did a lot of that ourselves and just thinking about our business. And, you know, unfortunately in the, in the investment world, when bad things happen, there's not a lot of time to think it's react. It's making sure you have the right leadership and making sure you, you put those people in, in place. But let's go back to your roots. You, you started off talking about you came into office and hotels. I can think of no more two industries which are more exposed to COVID and the ramifications and the workouts than those two industries, especially in commercial real estate. That's the center of it. Obviously, retail is, is there as well. But as you think about it, what you've learned over the years, how do you think about what the office space we've already talked a little bit about what do you think the office space looks at besides this hybrid role and then also what about the hotel industry i mean you have some experience there curious to get your thoughts on on what that looks like because that is the epitome of of uh, the amenitization that you're talking about people go for a specific need there how do you think about those two things and and those are probably one of the bigger challenged areas of the commercial real estate market today yeah, and I, and I think you have to think, you know, I like to think about the world in kind of like short, medium and, and long term. And I think in the short term, um, whether you're in our sector, whether you're in the hotel sector or whether you're in the commercial office sector, you know, the short term is going to be challenging, right? There's no question. Um, uh, and whether it's challenging specific to COVID or, you know, the, the economic impact of COVID and the, the impact that that's having on your customers and, and markets in which you operate, the question is, as you start to think like medium to long term, like post COVID, um, what is the opportunity uh, within office as an industry and then in hospitality as an industry? From an office standpoint, um, just like this country is, is over retailed, this country is also over officed. But the good thing about that is a lot of that inventory, in my opinion, is, is functionally obsolete. Uh, and so what we saw pre-COVID and what I believe we will continue to see post-COVID is what I think about as a flight to quality, right? If you were a new development or a really well-positioned, like redeveloped asset in office, even if you were in a soft market, even pre-COVID, you actually did really, really well uh, because there's, you know, companies are willing to pay a premium for, for quality. So I see that, I see this continued bifurcation in the industry of like have and have not, which is either you build the right product, you deliver it at a really high level, uh, you know, you service the heck out of it. And I think you do really, really well. And if you don't do that, I think it is a pretty binary outcome. And, you know, I think both in hospitality and in office, you'll see people struggle that aren't willing to commit the capital uh, or have the right kind of business model brand and, and strategy to compete um, you know, coming out of this. Do I think that the office is going away? No. Do I think as an investor, there's still uh, a huge opportunity to make money over the next five to 10 years in, in the right type of office assets? Yes. Um, shifting gears to hospitality. Um, you know, what's interesting is uh, you know, one of our design philosophies is, uh, is think global, act local. 
Uh, and there was, I don't know if it was maybe, it might've been 18 months ago. Um, uh, there was an article that came out, it might've even been skiffed and it, it went through like the top 20 fastest growing hospitality brands. And they only had one thing in common. They were not cookie cutter. They were all designed experientially unique into the markets in which they operated. And what I think that we're seeing um, pre-COVID and post-COVID is this desire for authenticity and, and true experiences, right? I mean, we are in an experience economy. And so if you're a hotelier moving out of this, I don't know if I'd wanna own like a cookie cutter branded hotel coming out of this. Um, I, I do think that consumers are gonna crave um, unique experiences. And so I, that to me, uh, is where I see the biggest opportunity uh, in hospitality moving forward. Big question mark to me is what happens with with business travel coming out of this. Right. You know, I that know was myself. I was going to ask about. Yeah. I don't know how about you you guys feel, but you know, there's many a uh, 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 airplane ride I took across the country or overseas to take two hour meetings or two one hour meetings, uh, and I just don't know with Zoom and this change in behavior what's the long-term impact on uh, business travel? Uh, and to me, I don't know if anyone knows the answer to that yet, but that's something that we're keeping definitely a close eye on, especially uh, you know, given our meeting, conferencing, uh, and event business and how tied we are to, to technically group travel. Yeah. Well, I mean, from our perspective too, that's part of, we help keep the hotel industry afloat, right? Um, business travel is a huge part of RevPAR when you look at the hotel industry revenue per available room. And so when you think about that, because we're indiscriminate buyers, right? We're, we got to be there. We're captive. We're paying market rates. Hopefully we got something negotiated. But at the end of it, I mean, we are the captive buyer. You said something about a plane ride, same idea. And I think, you know, we look at a lot of data to try to assess this. And so, you know, when the COVID crisis first hit, there was a lot of popularity with the Apple mobility indices, right? Where they were showing people moving around. And th these numbers are somewhere, depending on the region you look at, it can be 20 to 50% higher. So there are people on their phone more and it's getting more requests there. But I like to look at other metrics and we use like TSA throughput was one. Uh, we look at hotel available rooms, RevPAR, all those. Th these numbers are massively depressed. And to me, that's really, it, it's not really the end consumer as much as business travel. That's really keeping those down. Can, can you share any data with us that you're seeing from your side um, that it gives your sense of where we are in some of these recoveries? And obviously you've talked about having to pivot having to, you know, reduce, you know, the availability of some of your properties and like, is there anything you can share us on how you think this recovery is going and how you think about it, think how you're looking at it when assessing the viability of, of this continued business travel? Uh, yeah, look, I, I think, you know, um, real estate's still a very local business. And I, I do think that you have to look at this data at a, a macro level, but then also kind of drill down uh, region to region, uh, city to city, because the, the data is different. And um, you know what we're seeing and hearing from our customers is different by market, honestly. Uh, but there are some, I think, consistent um, trends that we're seeing in our in the data. Uh, the first is, you know, for us in our little specific, uh, you know, subset of the world, you know, July was like rock bottom, right? If I look at um, all of our, what I think about is like our momentum metrics, so you know, what's happening outside the funnel um, from a, a lead and qualified lead perspective, um, you know, what are we seeing kind of days outstanding to convert from tentative to definite from a contract standpoint? Uh, what's happening with, with cancellation of future programs? 
Uh, and what I can say is that although week over week, we're not seeing dramatic improvement, we have been seeing relatively consistent upticks uh, you know, week over week since I'd say early July. Um, we're nowhere near back to pre-COVID levels, especially from, uh, I think, kind of a top of funnel metrics perspective. Uh, but we, we are seeing ourselves slowly working our way uh, out of this. Uh, I think that this is a journey. Um, I do not believe that this is something 90 days from now we're back to normal. I, I, we are underwriting and modeling, you know, that this is a, you know, a 12 to 24 month uh, recovery. And a lot of that is predicated uh, on science. Yeah. From these levels, not, not from, from the six no, months from, ago. From these levels. Exactly. Right. Uh, right. And uh, and, and, you know, also unclear to us is what's the real residual economic impact coming out of this. Right. Uh, and a lot of that depends on, uh, you know, stimulus plans and, and support from, you know, the federal government, which uh, I think we did a, a good job early, uh, you know, but most of my peers in the industry now, you know, there's really no access to additional support or stimulus dollars today. And, you know, you can't, run a restaurant at 30% occupancy and survive or utilization. Uh, and I think that there's a lot of businesses and industries that, uh, you know, if we can't get additional stimulus dollars out in the next six months, uh, you know, that there's going to be a long-term impact on the economy because those small businesses, they just don't bounce back. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we, you share a lot of those. We got to keep. Yeah. We yeah, share I mean, a lot I'd, of those from macro front for sure. But yeah, so we saw, you know, we started off by talking about how you have, roughly you know, over 30 locations uh, throughout the U.S. as well as the U.K. Are you seeing significant or material differences between the clients that you have in the U.K. versus here in the States? So we actually haven't officially opened in the U.K. yet. We're opening um, late next year. That, that project um, got delayed just because of, of COVID and, and some delays in the construction of, of the actual building we were going into as, as part of COVID. Um, I mean, we're close to that market. And honestly, um, I think the UK and New York, uh, London, because it's London where we are uh, in New York, I, I believe that there's a, a lot of similarities. Um, you know, I think a lot of the same um, data that we're getting in New York is, is to some extent corresponding uh, with what we're seeing in, in London, uh, at least around uh, return to work, uh, getting back to meetings. Um, Interesting, uh, you know, about the work from home thing, uh, the US and the UK are unique in that uh, we have relatively big living spaces, right? And whether that's we have homes or we have bigger apartments where you can actually work from home effectively and we have relatively good broadband infrastructure. Um, you go to other cities like in Asia or even in Paris and, and other parts of Europe where you don't have the space working from home is like really not possible. And so if you look at kind of the return to work metrics, um, country by country, city by city, there are big differences between let's call it the US and UK relative to other parts of the world. Yeah, um, I think Sam's hair is making him go back to his Beatles days and think about the UK right now. Um, <laughs> but I wanna go back to what you're saying because um, I think it, it's important to you talk about the stimulus and the requirement uh, to get to get the economy back going or going back to some some semblance of where it was. Um, and that's something we've been harping on, too. And we know that when job losses come and they become permanent. So there's a lot of things that look transitory or temporary to start with. But the job losses that people are getting furloughed now or the furloughs start, I think, this week with a lot of the airlines. 
right? As you look at this, that those structurally, those jobs have a tough time coming back. And so what we've seen is a lot of the temporary uh, job losses are turning into permanent job losses. And so another thing that stimulus may not be able to help, right? Or just, you know, sending transfer payments to unemployed people is that you've got to get people back into the business and back into the economy. And so as you think about how you guys are providing workspace and, and helping folks, how, how do you think about playing a role in that? I mean, are you seeing people that want to you know, do job fairs and training? Just try to think about what this looks like, you know, as, as we turn the calendar over next year and other, other things that maybe are not as traditional as what you did pre-COVID that you're thinking about doing going forward. Yeah, look, it's, uh, it's, a great, it's a great question and something that, you know, myself and, and our leadership team, uh, you know, talk a lot about, right? I mean, it's this concept of, you know, doing good and doing well. Uh, I'd say the first thing is um, the easiest thing we can do is execute our business plan and, you know, rehire uh, not just our own furloughed and laid off workers, but also get back into to growth and expansion mode. You know, pre-COVID, uh, you know, we had just under a thousand employees. We were on schedule to to hire an additional 500. So um, although that's not, um, I guess, significant uh, in the big scheme of things, it, it does have a real impact uh, you know, on, on those individuals' lives and obviously you know, the communities uh, and cities that we, we serve. So that's kind of, I think- Yeah, don't downplay two. that, Ryan. Don't downplay yeah. that. It is important because if yeah. everybody's doing that and CEOs are thinking that way, that's how we build a better country. Yeah. And that's how we do things. So yeah. don't downplay that. I'm going to give you kudos for that. I appreciate that. So I'd say that's kind of step number one for us. And then, you know, step number two, what we're seeing and hearing from our, our clients, and we're doing a lot of interesting work, uh, you know, in and around the education space, both on the, the corporate training side, but also um, we're a satellite campus uh, for a lot of continuing education uh, and MBA programs. So just yeah. like I say, the future of, of office is hybrid. I think the future of learning is also hybrid. And uh, a lot of the the larger universities are looking at ways to move their content, right? Their programming closer to the population center. So, for example, if I'm Temple University or if I'm uh, you know, Georgetown or Villanova or NYU, um, I've got really big alumni bases, not just in the Philly area, but I might have a, a core in LA or Chicago or New York. And you know, we are having some really interesting conversations with um, those partners around. Can we help them? bring that content and curriculum into other markets that they don't have a physical presence that's far, far away from where the core campus is. And can you use uh, not just the space, but also our technology platform to really help facilitate these types of kind of dynamic uh, hybrid learning environments. And I think that there's, there's, a, there's a lot of value to be created uh, there. Um, when we start to think about structural unemployment, which, um, you know, it's true, right? A lot of these furloughs and layoffs, you talk to CEOs and it's like, okay, well, we don't, it's a lot easier to let go. And it's, it's a lot slower bringing back. And I do think that there's Always, going to be, yeah. um, you know, uh, a larger percentage of the unemployed that it's, it's structural. And, you know, I think we, as an organization, um, I think other companies, and I think, you know, we as a country have to figure out from a learning and development and training perspective, um, you know, what are the opportunities that exist and how do we start to replace and retrain these people for uh, the jobs that are going to exist? So we're trying to do that in our own small way. Uh, and we know that from talking to your know, educational client partners and also uh, a lot of the big corporate L&D, uh, you know, clients of ours that, you know, there's a lot of thought and effort starting to go into 
uh, into that? And, and ultimately, how does that help uh, you know, the recovery coming out of this crisis? Yeah, I wouldn't downplay that again, because I think it's important doing it in your own way, doing it small. Uh, when you sum up a lot of smalls, it becomes medium to large. And I think that that's the way we need to focus and how, how we can all do better um, as we kind of turn the corner in this post-COVID world. But there's one more thing I thought about um, when you were mentioning kind of being closer to the people. And we've heard a lot, uh, at least anecdotally, uh, we've seen it from some localized real estate markets that there seems to be this urban flight once again, right? Where people are going back to suburbia, craving that space. You mentioned the advance of the U.S. having so much land and space that, um, you know, we're fortunate enough to have that. And there seems to be a desire for that. How, how do you think that Convene can help play into that market too? Is this, is this helping kind of accommodate people that need that real estate and space and use more temporary workspace coming in? How, how do you think that you guys will play a role if indeed this is a trend that that seems to be kind of getting some legs behind it. There's there's some anecdotes before COVID, but we're seeing a lot more, um, at least over the course of the summer. Yeah, look, and I, there's a lot to, to unpack there. And, um, you know, we've spent a lot of time, you know, looking at the data um, and trying to understand, um, you know, what's happening. And that includes, uh, you know, housing purchases and, uh, you know, what rentals uh, absorption looks like uh, in different markets and then kind of tying that back to the office industry and seeing like where are leases really happening and you know, are companies really moving to this hub and spoke strategy and are they you know moving offices out of New York into the suburbs um, and look I think generally speaking um, you know is there a certain demographic that uh, back to COVID being the great accelerator yeah if you were had kids were trying to make it work in the city you're probably planning on moving out in a, in a couple of years, whether that was because of cost or space, then yeah, like this is, this was what put you over the edge. And I've got a lot of friends uh, that have, you know, chosen to, to move out of New York, um, you know, over the last, uh, you know, six months, but reality was they were going to make that decision anyway in the next year or two or three. Mm -hmm. um, we're less focused on um, urban suburban, and I'm more focused on what I think about as the rise of the rest which is really uh, a trend that was happening pre-COVID, but uh, think about like a Nashville, an Austin, uh, an Atlanta, a Charlotte, a Charleston, uh, a Salt Lake City, Utah, right? A Denver, um, a Seattle. And, you know, I always say I'm on the board of the Regional Planning Association, which is kind of the advocacy group that comes up with the future plan for New York City and the Tri-State. Uh, and, you know, I said to the board about two years ago, I said, we're not competing against London and Hong Kong and Tokyo anymore. We're competing against Miami. We're competing against Nashville. We're competing against Austin. We're competing against Dallas. And what I do think you will see, and this definitely is factoring into our future growth strategy, is markets like Nashville, where I can live 15 minutes outside the city, not have to get on mass transportation, live in a great house with a great backyard and still drive downtown into a great city and be at my office without having to go on a train, that's compelling. And so I'm less a believer in urban to suburban, although I think we'll see that and are seeing that outside the big core gateway cities. Uh, I'm much more focused on this shift to the second and third tier cities that uh, I think have a lot to, a lot to offer. Um, and affordability is one, uh, you know, uh, lifestyle uh, is two, and potentially not a dependency on public transportation, which I think some people, you know, coming out of this might be a little bit scarred around getting on a train or on a bus. 
Yeah, no, we were big fans of those real estate markets on the commercial side for, for many years. And I, I, I agree with you, it was an accelerant. So Sam, besides your haircut, is there anything else you want to tell uh, Ryan about today before we get to your favorite part of the show? I think I'm ready for my favorite part of the show. All right, well, we're going to introduce you to Hippie Sam, and uh, he's going to introduce <laughs> you to our favorite part of the show called Sherman Says. So Sam, kick it off. All right, the uh, favorite part of the show is called Sherman Says. And uh, what I'll do is I'll offer a series of prompts to between you and Mr. Sherman here, to which you'll provide a top of mind response. And I'm going to start off the first one with Mr. Sherman on company culture. Critical. To you, Ryan, directional thinking. Important. Sherman, office of the future. Everywhere. Hybrid events. Intersection of physical digital. Hmm. Hospitality versus co-working. Say, say it again. Hospitality versus co-working. Throwing some jargon in. Yeah. That sounds like that was <laughs> Ryan's and you flipped the script on me. Um, hospitality versus co-working. Um, it's, yeah, I'm going to go at the intersection again. You want to blend them together. Yeah, he got me. He stumped me. He got you. I was going to go with integrated on that one. Integrated. Yeah, I, I, that's the word I was looking for when I was using intersection. They're both math words, right? <laughs> that's yeah, it. they're both math words. So anyway. All right, back to you, Ryan. The challenge of 2020. Patience. Hmm. Repurposing CRE. Underway. Wildcats. Championships, baby. <laughs> and the last one for each of you, uh, Sherman's, is most useful technology in a pandemic. VoIP. And the reason for that is I realized that my cell phone does not work well at my place. And thank goodness for the voice over internet protocol technology where I can use my computer to dial or I'd be hapless. So I'd have had to move just simply on that. So. And then we'll close it off with one for Ryan. Uh, game time decision on dudes with long hair. <laughs> Envious. <laughs> All right. So those of you that are listening to this podcast, you got to go to YouTube. You got to look it up. Remember, our channel is youtube.com backslash double line capital. All one word there. You can see this great dude that we're talking about. Sidetrack half the conversation. You'll see why. Um, and if you can, let's vote on it. Let's get some feedback out there. Uh, Sam is talking about cutting it. I say, no way, Ryan. What do you say? I mean, he's got to no go. Oh. Got to run with it. Yeah. Run, 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 run with it. So there you have it. So thanks again, Ryan Simonetti, CEO of Convene. Thank you for joining us today. Really appreciate your time. Thanks for doing this physical digital world and this intersection of the integration. Hybrid. 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 Yeah. Thanks um, a lot, so, guys. Appreciate yeah. it. Thanks again. And for those of you out there that are not watching this on the YouTube channel, you can find this on our website. The Sherman Show is on the Double Line website. It's on iTunes, SoundCloud, iPod, Stitcher, Spotify. We still don't have a Joe Rogan deal. We're working on it. Spotify, call us, okay? Anyway, tune in soon. Thanks for kicking us off, Ryan. This is very prescient and look forward to, to speaking with you again. Take care. Awesome. Thank you.
audio presentation represents DoubleLine's intellectual property. No portion of this presentation may be published, reproduced, transmitted, or rebroadcast in any media in any form without express written permission of DoubleLine. DoubleLine has no obligation to provide any updates or changes. To receive permission from DoubleLine, please contact media at DoubleLine.com. Neither DoubleLine nor any of its affiliates makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements or any information contained in this podcast and any liability therefore, including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage is expressly disclaimed. DoubleLine is not providing any financial, economic, legal, accounting, or tax advice in this podcast. The receipt of this podcast by any listener is not to be taken as constituting the giving of investment advice by any DoubleLine entity or individual to that listener, nor to constitute such person a client of any DoubleLine entity. The portfolio risk management process includes an effort to monitor and manage risk, but does not imply low risk. Copyright 2020 DoubleLine Capital.